This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start so let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101, as always, presented by our friends over at Scentlock. Um, they have been good friends of mine for a long time, good friends of Bear Archery, and they just make phenomenal gear. So go check out my friends over at Scentlock. Um, I have a special guest on. I'm, 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 pleased to have him on i don't want to say i'm surprised to have him on uh i'll get there in a minute i'm pleased to have him on mr alan bolin alan how are you man fantastic dylan how you doing man better than i deserve i know that yeah right on you coming, you coming back to kansas this year for whitetails yeah i will be now yeah. what area were you hunting in like what part of the state uh it would be it'd be considered western kansas but barely okay kind of cent- central western kansas yeah i got you um, no, I, I asked because, you know, it's that time of year where I'm getting giddy, um, going out and checking trail cameras and, and, uh, taking inventory. And so, you know, that's what I'm passionate about is why. Yeah. So now well, I, I can definitely see why, man. Yeah. They, I, like I, I live in Utah and I hunt a lot in Alaska and, and Northern Canada. And, uh, for some reason, the whitetails, like my whitetail hunt every year, it, it it's the one that I kind of like go to bed thinking about at night when I'm trying to fall asleep, thinking about these giant whitetail bucks I got showing up on my cameras. And there's just something about that animal. I just can't I get over it. I, and it's a complete different hunt. You know, I mean, if, if you're hunting out West spot and stock, it's a complete, it's a totally different hunt. I mean, it's, it's, they're not even a comparison. Um, and I always tell people a great way to look at it is when you're whitetail hunting, your success comes from, from your scouting. Now, obviously that is true for out West too, but you know, you hang a tree stand and that's where you're going to hunt from. And, uh, and so if you have, have scouted bad and you hang a tree stand in the bad spot, you're not going to be successful. And so I like whitetail hunting because it's, it's a chess match before season ever even opens. You know, the chess match, the chess match begins right now. Yeah. And, uh, And so there's months of, of, of scouting leading up to, um, you know, the final game, if you want to say it that way. Yeah. I've already driven out to Kansas as an example, setting yep. cameras, looking at new spots, all of that. You know, for me though, I got to say that I'm a big, like, I'm a fan of certain animals 
and the way they act and the way they look. And not so much the hunt. Um, let me let me say this. Like as an example, I think elk are really fun to hunt. I love the actual hunt. I think it's they're one of the most fun animals to hunt, but I don't appreciate the trophy. They all look the same to me. I don't like I see a 356 point and a 386 point, and I'm like, eh, they look almost the same. Like I don't like neither one of them does anything for me. But a whitetail or a mule deer, the antler configuration, all the like the original, like, oh, look at the G2s on that guy, or oh my gosh, those hook G1s, or I, I just go nuts over the trophy. And so yeah. even though tree stand hunting whitetail honestly isn't as much fun to me as calling in a bull elk. I appreciate the trophy so much more. I'm way more drawn to it. And I think they're smarter. They're more wary, all of that. So I think, I feel like the challenge is a level higher too. Not only do I just like the look of the animal better, but so, so there's more to me that goes into it than just simply like the method of hunting. Yeah, no. And, and it's funny you say that because when I first, I, you know, I got to go to Pope Young panel and, uh, you know, we're talking to guys who measure everything, you know, for, I mean, from A to Z. And, uh, and we were doing some interviews for some videos and I asked them, well, what's the, what's the most difficult animal to measure? And they were like whitetails by far. And, and they're like, they're just so diverse, you know, I mean, you'll never have two antlers the same. It's always different. It's always, it's always something, you know, it's never just, oh, here's yeah. a whitetail. And, uh, and so that was interesting to me, um, that they said that. And then of course you see, you see deer, like, you know, the butcher buck and, uh, it took two teams eight hours a piece to measure that thing. Yeah. And, uh, just crazy, man. Yeah. That buck was a mess. Yeah. A hot mess. Dive in, but beautiful. Before we dive in, give us a quick introduction to yourself, man. Sure. Yeah. Um, I live in the state of Utah. I wasn't born here, but I've lived here for about 20 years. Um, I don't hunt all that much in Utah. Uh, I do a little bit of mule deer hunting. Um, last, the last five years I've, I've really concentrated on mule deer here, but but generally, I like to hunt, uh, you know, in all the surrounding states. I try to find very good tags. I hunt a lot in Alaska, um, the Yukon, British Columbia. Um, I've been through a lot of the northern provinces hunting caribou as well. I love the North Country. I try to get there at least a month a year. Uh, I just got back from the Yukon um, on a doll sheep caribou hunt just a, like a week ago. And I have another Yukon hunt planned in at the end of October, actually. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy, I enjoy backpack hunting. I enjoy backcountry hunting. I enjoy, um, I don't know. I, I really try to soak in each species that I hunt and harvest as big of possible of, of a representation of that, of that species. Um, and uh, I just said the word harvest. I actually hate that word, by the way. It's just an old habit. I, I like to kill the biggest possible of that species. Let me correct myself <laughs> because we're not farmers. We're hunters. We actually kill things. So uh, anyway, yeah, that's that's a little bit about me. I'm an archery fanatic too. I love shooting my bow. I, I love the equipment. I, you know, I, I really dive into tuning and long distance shooting. I shoot every day. I, I, tune all of my own stuff i'm fanatical about it you know every arrow is shooting a bullet hole at five yards um or i won't touch it you know um i'm i'm big into like different you know i i try to dive deep into maximizing my my setup and i don't 
always do it in a way that you might, you know, read about in a magazine article. I find new and interesting ways to do stuff. I'm always experimenting. No, that's that's one of the many things that that I appreciate about your social media is because, you know, and, and a perfect example is not too long ago you put out a video about draw length and uh, and I'm like, yeah, like people so often, you know measure wingspan divided by 2.5 and that's what they set their boat to and they never experiment where do i shoot the best at where do i get the best extension at you know where is where is my alignment the best at they just they just do it and and so i I respected that about you now the reason i say um that that i'm shocked that you not shocked but i'm surprised you almost came on is because um you you are the host of hoyt's podcast right uh, which, which i respect um I love that that you don't care. You know, this is a bear archery podcast, and and you know, you get some guys and like, what? You know, I've had guys tell me like, I don't shoot a bear, and I'm like, I don't care. You know, you're still a, a successful hunter that I would love to get some advice from and love to hear from, and I know my listeners would as well. And so, um, that that's what I I, I truly um, respected that that you were willing and able to come on with me. Well, honestly, I I I was the one that was. Uh you know, surprised and pleased that you guys would allow me on, um, you know, because it, so what I shoot a Hoyt, it's archery, you know, and I, I'm glad that you guys weren't closed minded to that in, in having me on. Cause I'm sure, you know, there's uh let's talk about bow hunting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, this podcast for me has always been a place where I want to teach and inspire people. And, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a fan of bear archery. I shoot their recurves. I shoot their crossbow or their 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 compounds. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't care what you shoot. I just want you to get out and go hunting, and I want you to learn and expand and grow as a hunter. Um, which I'm curious to know, how did you get to the place you're at in your in your hunting career? Well, um, you know, and I don't know, you know how do how do you define the place I'm at? I don't know. I've I've guess I've I've, I've killed a handful of really big animals. Um, I don't, I'm not a quantity guy. I'm a quality guy when it comes to, to putting an arrow through something. I'm extremely picky. I'm tenaciously picky. If I had to give myself one quality that is sort of unique, um, is that I, if I get something in my head that I want, I will not stop. I will not compromise. I will not, you know, as a perfect example, I, I've been on six doll sheep hunts. I've, you know, spent 66 days hunting doll sheep and, uh, I've seen, I I'm counting about two dozen legal rams, two dozen legal rams that I could have stocked. And I haven't made a single stock yet because I'm after an absolute cranker giant and I know what I want. And the, like shooting, shooting one that's not that isn't going to make me happy. And so I'm just not going to do it. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying by any means that somebody is wrong for going and shooting something less than what they ultimately wanted. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying for me personally, it's just how I've chosen to do things. And so what that's led to is I've killed some really big animals. I think I have more uh, different species in the top 10 Pope and young than, than any other hunter. And that wasn't, I mean, I wasn't really trying for that. It just happened because what I do is I pick a species and I say, I'm going to hunt this species until I kill a monster. And I'm going to be fanatical about it. I'm going to learn everything I possibly can. I'm going to learn all the areas. I'm going to, if I need an outfitter, 
like on doll sheep, for example, I'm going to learn all the different outfitters, all the, all the pro I'm going to, and it's not just the physical part of it. It's also the mental part of it. It's the strategy. It's everything else. I just become obsessed with it until I get it done. And then, then I move to another species and I, oh, of course I'll have three or four going at once. Um, but I guess that's, that's kind of a unique quality in the way I approach it. And some people might find that boring. You know, I go, I probably only kill on 30% of the hunts I go on. Some people might say, well, why, why on earth would you ever do that? Spend that time and money and not shoot something. And it's not that I don't mean to be like a snob or anything like that. I, I really, I really don't want to come across that way. I just, it wouldn't like make me happy to shoot like this, you know, nice average animal I see. I mean, a lot of them are pretty dang nice. It just wouldn't be, I, I'm not saying, okay, I got to back up because I would be happy if I shot it. Cause there've been a lot of times where I thought something was really big and it wasn't quite as big as I thought that I'm stoked out of my mind because that was like part of the journey and shooting that animal was incredibly fun and exciting and all of that. Um, so I don't mean I'm unhappy when I shoot something small. I just, if I knowingly shoot something that's under what I'm ultimately after, it doesn't completely fulfill me. So if there's still a chance, you know, if there's still two hours of light left on the last day and there's still a chance that I might see that monster, I don't want to give up that chance. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, absolutely, man. And that's what, you know, I, I can't, I can't stress this enough that hunting is different for everybody and the experience that you're seeking is different for everybody. You know, some guys, you know, want to go out and shoot a deer on opening day. And that's, that's fine. If that's that's great. you want to do it. Yep. That's right. Um, and, and then, you know, you've got your Alan Bolins who are literally looking for a new world record and that's, that's their goal. And that's, that's great too. Um, you know, me personally. Hey, just to clarify though, I'm not looking for world records. Now, I'm, I'm, just so you know, my exact goal is I'm looking for booners. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Your, your goal and your mission in life is to kill all 29 Pope and Young Boone and Crockett's. Am I correct? No, I wouldn't say that because I don't think that's possible. Just having looked through all the numbers, I, I think it's actually impossible to do. But I want to die with as many as I can. Let's say it's 15. That would be amazing. Now, why do you think it's impossible? Just time. Uh, there's just certain animals that there's certain animals that the the um, the the entry requirement requirements and the the percentage of animals killed in that class is so incredibly low. Like polar bear, if you add up like polar bear, black bear, grizzly brown bear, stone sheep, doll sheep, all of those, it, it's it. it and then, and then you get into the animals where it is possible, but you need a couple hundred grand for the tag. Like a yeah. big horn, a big horn sheep, you can kill a booner with 200 grand. I don't have, I'm not a rich guy. I, I'm a guy who makes decent money and spends every cent of it on hunting. <laughs> and so I don't have that kind of money. Um, now, could I save up for 10 years maybe? But the problem is it keeps outpacing me. So, you know, 10 years ago, a, Bo a Boone and Crockett bighorn sheep was like 70 grand and I could have saved up 70 grand, but which 70 grand was more 10 years ago, but still they're outpacing inflation and they're outpacing my earnings and all of that stuff. So there are some animals you can't buy that are incredibly hard, like the ones I've listed and, and more as well. And then there's other animals that are doable, but 
would take an insane amount of money. So I don't know that it's possible. Um, but I definitely, I just, I love doing it, man. I freaking love it. I love shooting a booner with my bow. I call them Pope and young booners. I just love it. And so I have eight right now and you know, it's, it's pretty cool. God, it's phenomenal, man. Now, how, how far are you away from the 29 with a bow? I have no idea. Honestly, I've never even counted the species. Really? I, I swear on my life, I've never counted it up. Because, because it's not even my goal. I don't care. I have no desire to go shoot 29 dinks. No offense. Yeah. No offense to anybody out there. I have no desire to go shoot 29 like, eh. Yeah. I sh- I'd rather shoot 15 monsters from 15 different species and miss out on the other 14 species, but have 15 monsters. And it goes right back to your, to your quality versus quantity statement. Yeah. Now why care about the the grand total when, when you're worried about the big ones, you know, and, and that's, and and again, you know, different strokes for different folks, you know, Chuck Adams is on his way to 300. Um, And and good for him. I mean, that's That's awesome. That's a lifetime accomplishment that, you know, obviously nobody well, ever done. Chuck has killed some monsters, bro. Yes, he has. Oh man, that man is—he is the Michael Jordan of bow hunting. No, like, don't, don't let me misquote it. Let me just pull it up here. Um, you might have seen it. Um, one of his reports from Alaska right now said he shot his biggest black. Yeah, I, I think I I used to have the blacktail velvet world record. <laughs> so you think he just broke it well i mean you know blacktail do have a lot of deductions well, well what i mean by that is deductions make a big difference in blacktail like a one inch deduction on a whitetail isn't that much because it's let's say it's a 170 inch animal but on a 108 inch animal deductions make a big difference you know and it has to dry and everything else but if it really is a typical 5 by 5 that scores 114 there is a very high likelihood that it'll beat beat my world record and that's great i mean who better to uh to hand a world record over to than the great chuck adams yeah um yeah he he is a uh he's a class act man and uh you know we had him on uh not too long ago on the Pope and Young podcast and he started talking about how um he, he started talking about how uh, Frank Noska came up to him one time and said, hey, I think I've got you, Chuck. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you've only got, you know, 137 and I've got 158 in the books. And uh, Chuck went home and entered. And he's like, well, I haven't entered anything in five years. And so he went home and entered a bunch of animals <laughs> and, and called Frank. He's like, well, I'm up to two, 203 now, so you don't have me. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, great. Hey, Again, different strokes for different folks, man. But uh, yeah. no, I'm anxious to, uh, before I ask you this next question, I do need to give a quick thank you to my friends over at Minus 33. Um, I know you're a huge fan of Merino wool. Uh, and so no matter what Merino wool. Uh, I've worn Minus 33 before. I love it, man. Yeah, they're heavyweight stuff. I've, I have a thick black heavyweight Minus 33. That thing is warm. Yes, it is. I stumbled on them on accident. I, uh, I needed some, some, uh, Merino. I was headed out to Idaho on a hunt and I needed some Merino and, uh, backcountry.com had it on sale and I ordered it and I'm like, good Lord, this is some of the finest I've ever had. Um, now any Merino though, give me your, give me your Merino layering tips. Well, the reason I like Merino is because it's antimicrobial and that fights odor. So sweat doesn't stink. 
bacteria stinks. So when you use something that's antibacterial, um, it, it, uh, it never allows that stinky bacteria to grow. So when I go on a two-week sheep hunt, I'll bring one merino base layer and wear it the entire time. And it honestly never stinks. I mean, a little bit, but nothing compared to what, what a synthetic would do in that same amount of time. And they have synthetics that are infused with this antimicrobial stuff. I, I've, I have never had as good of a result with that stuff as I have with a, a merino directly on the skin. So that's why I like it. Now, as far as wearing a lot of layers of merino i don't do that because the disadvantage is this i mean the advantage of synthetic is that it dries faster so what i love wearing is merino on my skin and then i wear synthetics above that personally that's my approach very good uh guys i would just encourage you if you've never see alan i don't know um growing up in the midwest and, and in the south even um you know base layers didn't get much attention because it doesn't get very cold. And, uh, and so I never really put much thought into Merino until I started traveling out West, but now Merino even plays a huge role in my whitetail system. Uh, so guys, if you've never checked out Merino wool, uh, there's, there's tons of benefits to it. And, uh, and so, yeah. And so also I will say, Dylan, I'll take one thing back when I was talking about wearing additional layers of wool, I was talking about backpack hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if I'm like, I've worn my minus 33 in my white tail stand many times that the thick heavyweight layer I have, uh, because in, in that case, you're just wanting to scent three scent free all the way through. And you're not concerned about whether or not it dries fast because you got a dryer back at the house. Yeah. I'm talking about in a backpack situation. I just wear that thin base layer. Anyway, speaking of drying, um, I don't know if it was my first experience with Alan Bolin. Um, or not, but you talked about drying your socks and your pant legs at night. Yeah. And I was like, what a phenomenal tip. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty well known in the backpacking world that if you keep on a, something that's wet, if you wear it overnight, um, it's going to be dry the next morning. So like if you have wet socks now, you don't want them sopping, dripping wet, because that's going to get your sleeping bag wet. But let's say, you know, you've wrung them out as much as you can. You, you, you know, you got them pretty, pretty like drip free. You can put those socks back on. And then in the morning, those socks are going to be dry. Same thing with a shirt. Like I'll go to bed with my Merino base layer and it'll be damp from a rainstorm or sweat or whatever. And after a few hours of sleeping, it'll be dry. Um, but sometimes it's like, it feels really disgusting wearing these wet socks to bed. Like yeah. I want to put a nice pair of dry socks on. When I, I mean, socks are kind of the only thing I carry a backup of. I mean, my, my underwear briefs and my socks are the only thing I carry two of when I'm backpacking so I can rotate a bit. Um, but so I'll put on my dry socks. And then I, what I started doing is putting my wet socks um, in right, right up my, my quad muscles on my legs, like the, the upper part of your legs you stick the wet socks down your, your, uh, your thermal, your long johns, and you put them up against your skin and they just sit there all night and you wake up and they're dry and you don't even feel that gross wetness up. You like, for some reason, it doesn't bother you at all at that. You're putting them right there. I did them for a while up my shirt and I didn't like that as much. And I started putting them in my legs. I'm like, Hey, this works really well. Cause they feel really gross on my feet. Now, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned having shot animals in the past that you thought were bigger and weren't what you were looking for. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there a, a, a bear this spring or last spring? 
but that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went on, um, my second brown bear hunt, uh, this spring, um, which I mean, I guess is my second hunt dedicated to brown bear. I've had a brown bear tag in my pocket, uh, on three different doll sheep hunts as well. So I guess it, in a way it was kind of a fifth brown bear hunt, but I was my, it was my second Kodiak Island brown bear hunt on the first one. I passed multiple big bears. Um, one that, that, um, my business partner was along, we were doing a two on one and I passed it. He shot it and it scored 27 and 15 sixteenths. He was one sixteenth off of Boone and Crockett. So I made a good call, not shooting that bear by one sixteenth of an inch. <laughs> anyway, yeah, just one of those things. Right. So I didn't shoot and see in Alaska, the big thing on the brown bear is you have a four year waiting period. If you kill a brown bear in their, in their coastal areas, you have to wait four years before you can shoot another one. So but you can get a tag every year. You just can't kill. So, um, COVID happens. I had to skip that year. That was, so that was 2018 that, that we hunted or 19. And then I skipped 20 and then 2021, I went again and we hunted hard. We had a 15 day hunt and we hunted hard. I think I shot my bear on day 10 and we saw two different bears during the first 10 days that we think were, were book bears. And, uh, one of them we ended up like we got really close to we came over we he was moving down this trail and we angled in on this trail and we were going to intercept him on this trail it was working out perfect and we put two guys back as a lookout um and they signaled that he bedded so just as just as we were arriving at this trail he bedded behind this little sort of uh knoll and um so we went and peeked over this, this ridge, I mean, is, I mean, it's hard calling it a ridge, but it's just like a little knoll and, um, you know, not, a, not a tree, right. Just like where we were is just grass. And when we peeked over at, we knew this big bear was bedded behind. And this is a, it was an absolute, I got to say a mega bear. This was a mega bear. Lance Cronberger, who is probably the most experienced brown bear guide in the world. Um, he said that he, he and his guide see a bear like this once every three or four years. I mean, it was a giant, a freaking giant. And that maybe, I don't know, maybe that was in us a little bit. and We were a little bit too ramped up, but we peeked over this ridge. And I mean, it, it was just like our heads. That's it. But just the way the bear happened to bed, he was bedding facing right at his eyes, right at that spot on the ridge and the sun was right in our faces. And so when we peeked our foreheads over, boom, he immediately spotted us. And, and that bear was, I mean, he had been hunted before. He knew exactly what was up and he was out of there and he was at 66 yards right there. So had he been bedded with his head down, looking forward or whatever, we'd have been his peripheral vision. He would never would have noticed us. And I probably would have been able to dart him right there. Um, but uh, unfortunately, he was looking right at us and, and we missed out on that bear. And that was a real heartbreaker. Um, but then, so that was, I don't know, day seven, maybe. Um, day 10, it rains all, I mean, pours buckets all day. And we had to set up, we set up a glassing shelter. We were getting soaked. I mean, brown bear hunting, for those who don't know, is basically 12-hour days of intense boredom 
followed by two or three minutes of the most exciting adrenaline rush you've ever had in your life. So it's, it, it's a pretty boring hunt though, other than, you know, that final, final stock and shot are incomparable to anything else, but, but the whole hunt is pretty boring and miserable, freezing cold, wet, sitting on a knob, glassing 12 hours a day. But anyway, so we spotted this bear moving down this valley kind of toward us and he looked big. So we took off running. We got in front of him. It's really foggy and rainy. We can't see that well. He's coming at us. He looks big. And, and Lance did say, he's like, I don't know, man. Something about him tells me he might not be the age class we're looking for. And so we kind of backed off and we weren't going to kill him. And then he flashed white claws when he was walking. So white claws on a Kodiak brown bear means that he's been on the beach for decade plus. I mean, just like really spending a lot of his life on the beach and their, their claws go ivory white. And so anytime you see white claws, you know, you're looking at like a 16, 17 year old bear. And if that's the case, like, and it's a boar, he is a shooter. He's probably a book bear. And so we said, Oh, white claws. And I said, Hey, Lance, if it's white claws, this is what we've been waiting for. Let's do it. And so we maneuver, we get in front of this bear he, we think he's going to come down one of these two trails. And so we position right in between these two trails. And so we're watching these trails and I catch some branches, some alders, the tops of them swinging out of the corner of my eye. And, and I look, I'm like, here he comes. And I move to get a shot because there's some trees in front of me. And he did not come down either of the trails. He came down straight at us and he pops out, out of this brush, um, 35 yards from me facing me. And as soon as he pops out, like as soon as like I can see the top of his head, I come to full draw. Um, I don't want, I don't with a brown bear, I don't want to be in a position where he walks into 20 yards, sees me come to full draw, and then I shoot him because that's a situation where he could charge and he's going to get a bullet. And I don't want him to get a bullet uh, for obviously the, all the reasons bow hunters don't want their animals to get a bullet. So, because it's no longer a bow kill, right? And so I come to full draw like ASAP. He stops and he, I thought he was looking at me. The video reveals later that he wasn't looking at me, but I had him at 35 yards directly facing me. And I felt very confident in the shot. And I punched him right through the front of his chest. The arrow went the length of him, exited behind his ribs, um, never found the arrow, blew right through him. People talk about these heavy arrows such BS, 410 grain arrow, 17% FOC, went the length of a brown bear, blew out the other side. We couldn't even find it. So, um, and, and it was amazing, Dylan, amazing. Everything about it was amazing. We walked up to the bear. We quickly realized that for some reason, this bear had white claws and he wasn't a 15 to 17 year old bear. He was more like a 12 year old bear and he wasn't what we were looking for. But I'm telling you right now, it was one of the biggest thrills of my life to hunt that bear. And I would never in a million years walk up to an animal that wasn't as big as I thought he was and choose to be disrespectful to the animal and the experience and my guides and myself and everybody else for all the work that we put in. To me, it was incredible. I was grateful. I was thankful. I was through the roof, excited. And uh, I still am. I loved that hunt. I loved everything about it. The only thing I'm bummed about is Alaska makes me wait four years to go back. That's it. That's my only bum. 
but other than that, dude, it was awesome. So hopefully, hopefully my story didn't get too long there, buddy, but I just wanted to like create. Oh, absolutely, man. What happened. You posted that kill shot not too long ago, didn't you? Yeah. I, uh, let's see. I, I killed him in May. I thought I saw it on your social media. Yeah. Like you're shooting yep. the bear. Yeah. Yep. Um, no. Uh, oh, you mean the video? Yeah. No, I, I haven't. No, because we're, um, I'm working with Kuyu to put a video together on that. So okay. I must be so thinking- it will be launched. It's funny because the the exact story that you told, I saw somebody. I don't remember who it was. Well, uh, I might have. I, I posted the kill the uh, kill photo, and I wrote about the story. Okay, maybe that's it. I, I don't yeah. know. Um, it's funny how hearing you talk about quality animals and, and any bow the any animal with a bow is a quality animal. But um, this year I'm hunting with a recurve, and uh, oh. I promise you, if a fork and horn comes in, it's getting an arrow. Like it's, it's a totally different thing. It, oh, I told my wife. You know, I'm not big on. I say I'm not big on it. I don't spend much on taxidermy compared to other people. Um, you know, usually if it's a whitetail, it's just a European mount. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the bear I shot in in Maine last year, I got a, a three-quarter mount on it. Um, but um, I told my wife, I'm like, sweetheart, I don't care if it's a stinging 120-inch deer. If I kill a deer with my recurve, it's going shoulder mount on the wall. <laughs> I'm going to put a plaque saying first recurve kill. Yeah. Uh, it's just a different ball game, man. It really is. Um, and, and you know, you hear people talk about it and you're like, you know, I can hit a target at 20 yards with a recurve. No problem. It's okay. Um, but then once you start doing it, man, you realize like, gosh, this is a different game. Um, it's just, it's, it's harder. It's, it's, it's just a different hunt. I mean, all are the- you shooting instinctive Dylan? Yes. And no, um, I am instinctively gap shooting. Um, okay. so, so, I do gap shoot. Um, you know, I know my point on is 35 yards, but at the same time, I don't range find and I don't, um, you know, like if you watch Aaron Schneider, he's got laid out, you know, 20 yards, six inches under 42 yards, five inches over. Um, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't watch Aaron Schneider. So I wouldn't know. I don't gap shoot to that extent. Um, yeah. I just, I know my point on, and then everything else inside of that is instinctive. Okay. Um, so basically, you know, I, I tell myself, I'm like, I need to so you you gap shoot at one distance? Is that what you're saying? No, um, I gap shoot at all distances, but I just instinctively gap shoot. If that oh, okay, if that okay. makes sense, you know, I don't I don't range and say okay, I'm at 20 yards. Oh, you're not hard. ranging the animal then, right? And I don't. I think, see. I don't, okay. I don't think in my head I need to hold six inches under. I just in relation to the 3D target, I just hold where I need to hold. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which. You know, because I told myself I don't want to be a gap shooter uh, because I like the simplicity of just shooting the bow. Um, I, I like the simplicity of pull back and shoot. And and as an athlete growing up, that's what made the most sense to me. You know, if you throw a baseball or shoot a basketball, yeah, um, kick a football, you don't think to yourself, you know, I need to put this much angle on it or whatever. You just do it. Um, and so that was what made the most sense in my head. I quickly realized I suck at that with a bow. Um, <laughs> and so started gap shooting figured out what my point on was and then from there i just kind of instinctively gap shoot so interesting uh, that's a long answer to a short question but yeah i mean gap shooting to me like i look i'm not a i own a recurve and i shoot it in the backyard for fun occasionally i've never hunted with it i would someday like to shoot a doe or something i think it, it would just be a really exciting thing um but I'm, I would never, ever, like, put the majority of my hunting. I'm just, like, my goals are too high, really, with what I want to yeah. 
you know, the stuff I want to kill, I don't think I could do it with a recurve, honestly. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it just makes it that much harder. But, but to me, gap shooting is almost like, why not use a pin? I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just naive, so I shouldn't talk about it. But it just, like, if you're going to use something to aim with, like a recurve, like when I shoot my recurve, I mean, I'm probably not very good at it, but I'm, I'm shooting instinctive. Like, I just want to, I want to feel that rush. Yeah. I want to feel that rush of like, I feel it. Where's it going to go? I feel it. Where's it going to go? It's, it's cool. I think that's it. it, I don't know. It's, it's all cool, but you know, I mean, I have a buddy, uh, you guys, I mean, you probably know Tim Gillingham. Yeah. Um, He's a good friend of mine and he has different length arrows Mm -hmm. or different yardages so that his gap will work. So like at 40 yards, he has these really, I, I think it's really long arrows for 40 yards so that he can get the point to work. I'm like, dude, just shoot your compound. What are you doing? You know, what's funny is I mentioned Aaron Snyder and he talked about gap shooting and Tim said, Tim commented on his post and said, uh, uh, if you're going to gap shoot, why not just use a, a sight? And Aaron just said, shut up, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that is funny. I do. And, uh, you know, Tim actually, um, when I, when I dove into shooting a recurve, um, he was the guy that helped me, uh, figure out arrow setup. So, oh, uh, nice. you know, just weights and links and, and, uh, because that's, what's, that's the biggest difference for me is, is it really becomes an art, uh, you know, with a compound and, and I can't speak to you about this because you do this for your compound, but you know, most guys roll into a bow shop, hand them their compound, they cut their arrows to length, they shoot bullet holes, they move on, you know, with a recurve, you've really got to tune that arrow to that bow. And, uh, you know, you've really got to test links and, and different weights and, and, uh, you know, you really have to tune that arrow to that bow. And so, uh, that's really what I like about it is getting back to kind of the art of, of archery and rather than just set it up and shoot it, you know what I mean? Everything about shooting a recurve and especially instinctively is very artistic. Yeah. And everything, I think every, I would call everything about tuning a compound, at least the way I do it. It's more like witchcraft than science. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'll tell you, man, those right. things are, <laughs> um, you know, what's funny though, is, is Jim Willems, um, he told me a story one time and he was going on this hunt and, uh, actually your the story you told about that bear, um, the, the hunt he went on, the bear ended up charging him after he shot it and they had to finish it with a gun. Couldn't make, couldn't make Pope and young because of it, so on and so forth. But he talked about how, you know, weeks leading up to that hunt, he hurt his shoulder and he couldn't pull back his recurve. He's like, and I had to take a compound and I was not prepared. He's like, that made me feel like I wasn't ready. He's like, mm. because uh, uh, for me, a recurve is easier to hunt with. Like when I want a challenge, I grab my compound and I was just like, wow, like I hope I'm to that point someday, but I'm not right now. Yeah. I think that a, a really good recurve shooter has an advantage over compounds. Um, the, the speed that they can draw and ex- execute a shot. And, you know, if I'm in a whitetail stand, I've, I've thought about it many times, like, for me to haul back that 70 pound bow and then get it lined up, center my peep, get the pin on and all. And it just, it kind of makes a big commotion in the stand, that whole process. Um, Frankly, I, I can't draw my 70 pound bow without sort of like making body movement. You know, I can't like be aimed right at the deer and keep my posture and slowly pull the bow back to anchor 
get on target and everything without making a bit of a commotion. But if I were shooting my recurve, I could, I could have the posture and everything lined up for that, where the shooting lane is going to be. And I could draw the bow to anchor quickly aim and shoot. I, I think, but I'm not good enough to trust myself in that situation, yeah. but I just could see where somebody would prefer that. Now, if we're talking 45 yards, I mean, there's no question. My right. compound has the advantage. But in certain situations, I can see where a recurve would be easier to hunt with if you're good. There aren't, you know, a lot of people in the world that are really, really, really good with a recurve. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is an art. And it's, I admire the guys who are, I, I have a buddy who, who literally used to be able to hit a quarter every time at, at 20 yards. It, 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 instinctively, it was the most incredible thing I ever saw. Um, but, but anyway, yeah. What were you going to say? Uh, speaking of distances, what is your preferred, I say preferred, what's your, what's your effective range? Well, you know, it's so much of that varies on conditions and the animal I'm shooting at. Um, I, I really like, uh, um, now for some reason, uh, whitetail hunting, it's less. And I don't know why that is. I feel when I'm in the hardwoods, and I'm sitting in a tree stand and I look at all these shooting lanes and I see how fast everything happens and the wariness of the animal and all this different stuff, I feel my effective range shrink. And I compare that to a caribou standing in the tundra, just looking at me, you know, like, duh. Like, I, I, and I know there's no way in a million years this thing's going to jump the string and it's this giant target out there with this huge kill zone. It is very, very different. Um, but I really, you know, for most Western game hunting, if I could pick a yardage to have an animal stop broadside, it'd be 50 yards, no closer, no farther. And you may ask, why not any closer? And the reason is, is because things get crazy under 50 yards. I mean, not, I mean, obviously 45 yards is still pretty nice buffer, but you put that animal at 15 yards and you draw on a mule deer at 15 yards, good luck. Yeah. Right. Are you, you, you flinch, you have to move just a little bit, anything at all at 15 yards. And it's, it's game over. You're not getting that shot off. I would much rather that mule deer be at 50 yards. And if he sees me draw, he's like, huh, what's that? I'm outside of that, that mountain lion jump zone. Right. Because that's how they're genetically tuned. Um, they're not, they're not too worried about something that's 50 yards away. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility. And I still feel like I'm extremely accurate at 50 yards. I'm not, I mean, knock on wood, right? Because you never want to say this. As soon as you say this, you miss a shot, but I feel like I can hit, I can hit the lungs every time at 50 yards. Right? So that's my preferred range. Now, for some reason on a whitetail, I don't feel that same thing. I don't feel, for some reason, I'm not hoping, oh, I hope I get a 50-yard shot on this whitetail today. I don't know why that is, man. It's just some kind of instinct in me where I feel like I want it closer. I feel like I want the 20-yard shot on the whitetail. And maybe it's because I'm in the tree stand and there's other ways to make sure that I can draw and get ready to shoot. And then I'd rather have that close shot. But when I'm on the ground, I don't want to be 20 yards. And, and that's true. If I, were, if I were sitting next to a tree and a whitetail walked by, I would not want to be at 20 yards. I guess the same thing would be true. Maybe that's part of it. You, you like put the whole equation together. And because I'm in a tree stand or a blind, the 20 yard shots preferred. But when I'm out in the open stalking, I don't want that shot. Right. No. And it, you know, it, I've had deer duck my, duck my arrow at 10 yards. And I'm like, how in the world did you duck my arrow in 0.004 seconds? Like, how is that even possible? 
Um, Seriously. But no, uh, and, and I think it goes back to because I shoot the best at 40 yards. Um, okay. Not closer, not further. And I had this conversation with somebody, and they're like, well, it, if you think about it, if you're shooting at 20, you're, you're, you're having to hold down, you know, but if you're shooting at 40, you're, you're like perfectly aligned and it just becomes easier. Um, and then also if you're trying to shoot closer, your, your eyes just, you can, if you're shooting at 20, my eyes can focus on the pin and the target. But if you get out to 40, 50 yards, it forces you to just focus on the target and look through your pin and you're Mm -hmm. no longer trying to focus on both of them at once. And so I think that's why, that's personally, I think that's why I shoot best at, at 40 yards because that's just where uh, everything aligns with me and I'm holding perfectly level. Yeah. Well, I know one thing for sure, and that's it's really, really beneficial to shoot far in your practice. I have a range behind my house. I shoot out to 120 yards and it really, it tunes you. It really makes you learn to improve your form and your focus, your ability to pick a spot all of that. And I don't shoot at dots either. I shoot at, at, uh, I actually use, um, Oh, just forgot the name of it. Solo target. I use solo target, which they have no marks on them. There's no, there's no insert to shoot at that, you know, like on a 3d target, at least under 50 yards, all you can see is that insert you're shooting at a shooting at a circle, you know? And so, but I shoot out to 120. My favorite yardage to shoot out in my backyard is 101 yards. I shoot 101 yards all the time, and I could stack them in the kill zone at 101 yards because why, I do it all the time. I don't know. I just I just picked it. Just to I get about 100, and I thought, you know, 101 sounds better. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was doing this thing too. Um, I was bow hunting 101. I was doing a little bit, which interestingly, isn't that the name of your podcast? Hunting 101, yep. Hunting 101, yeah. I, I did this thing I branded for a little while, bow hunting 101 on on my social and i was doing this challenge where you shoot 101 arrows starting at one yard you shoot an arrow then two then three you keep taking a step back and if you can shoot 101 arrows in a row into the kill zone out to 101 yards you kind of like pass this bow hunting 101 challenge um i i only tried it a handful of times i made it to 93 yards a couple times and then and then missed by an inch but anyway yeah, I like shooting far. So I just had to, you said these solo targets, and I've never seen them, so I had to Google them. Um, are these a skin that you put on a target? That's right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not an actual you, target. Yeah, you put it like on a block or, or a Reinhardt, anything you want to put it on, you put it on there. and it. But it is the most realistic thing. Oh, the, first time, the first time you shoot at one, it'll literally give you buck fever. No joke, bro. Absolutely. It, I'm looking they at are it. awesome. It's like HD printing. Like you can see every hair. Yeah. It's so cool. And they are perfectly anatomically correct size. Like the, the, really? chest, the chest depth of the whitetail is 17 inches. And that's what a whitetail buck is. He's 17 inches. The mule deer is like 19 inches. The sheep's 20 inches. The caribou's 24 inches. I mean, they are perfectly correct. So you've got to have a pretty big target to put them on. No, but it just, if you're, if you're accurate, you put it in the middle of vitals. I mean, you. No, 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 no. You, uh, I'm the skin. You have to have a pretty big target to put the skin on. No, you don't. Oh, there's a stand. So they have a, an adjustable stand that you put your target on, and you adjust I, that to the right height, and then you center the vitals with your target as the background. Now, if you're gonna miss, let's say you have a 16 inch target, 
you, it would work for it. But if you're, if you can't hit a 16 inch target at 80 yards then you probably shouldn't shoot at that target at 80 yards. I got you. Very cool. Learn something new every day. Go check out yeah. solo targets guys. They look pretty sweet. They were having a, a few delays in shipping. One of the, the, it's a small company and one of the partners passed away. And so the other partner was trying to get the business rolling again. And he, he told me that uh, August was his goal to have it up again, which is right now. So I think it's shipping again, but uh, you might have to be patient with them, but they are going to be shipping again. How long does a skin last? Quite a while. I mean, you eventually do get to the point where you can start to see, you know, if you have a black target behind it, you start to see like a black area. You know, if you're shooting, like if I'm shooting from 101 yards though, I'm not going to drill out like a two inch black circle in the middle of target. Right. right. You know, but if you're shooting at 20 yards, I, you might, you might wear that thing out fairly quickly. Man, I got to order my kids this, this kid's turkey. They'd love that. Dude, if you, I'll, I'll tell you, man, those targets were literally a game changer for my hunting accuracy because it really, it made like shooting at dots is not good for hunting. I'm oh, you, it is not good. Um, it, it, you, that buck steps out there and you have no idea how to aim at it and kill it. And even a 3d target, when you're shooting at that insert, cause that's all you're going to see is the circle of that insert. And you're going to see lines and all these different things on it that just don't exist on the real animal. And you're going to cheat y your mind will cheat because it, it wants to cheat, you know? So you, you take away all that possibility with a target like this and you're, you're, you're shooting at hair. That's what it looks like. Yeah. No, uh, Harv Ebers, um, Harv was my recurve coach. Um, so Harv, uh, drove to Missouri to, to his house in Missouri one day and, and spent the afternoon and he taught me how to shoot a recurve. Um, nice. and, uh, he took me out back and he's like, I never shoot at targets ever. And all he had was hay bells. And he's like, what that forces me to do is pick a spot on the hay. Like, I don't, I don't have a spot. I don't have a, and of course he's a, he's a, uh, old school guy. And so that's how they used to practice, you know, uh, he doesn't have yeah. three targets and stuff, but He's like, if you know, what my license plate says, you know, my license plate, P K A S P O T pick a spot. Nice. That's my license plate. I love that's, it. That's all that matters in life. Dylan is your yeah. ability to pick a spot. Yeah. <laughs> now when I'm shooting a recurve, my ability to hit the spot is all that matters. Well, sure. Sure. Um, I, I'm anxious to hear you talk about this because I stumbled upon your, um, affection for the product at convention. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Koa Optics, uh, have been for a long time. Um, again, kind of stumbled on them by accident. Uh, SNS Archery was having a sale on them, and, and I was going on a hunt with the guys from SNS, and I'm like, man, I need a spotting scope. And they're like, well, you can just use this one while we're there. And I'm like, sounds good. Ended up using it and buying it at the end of the weekend because I'm like, I need this in my life. Um, so I'm a huge fan of Koa Optics, and you run their 55, correct? Yeah, that is an unbelievable piece of engineering. Now. Even outside of Koa, because I know you kind of have a, a a spotting scope um, system. Tell me when and how you choose what spotting scopes, what sizes, what how how do you run through all that in your mind? Yeah, so I have a Swaro ninety five, which I mean it is a beast to carry, and you know it's a it's it's an incredible it's an incredible optic. If I'm doing a hunt where I really need to see detail. And ironically, one of those hunts is Sitka Blacktail Deer. Because when you're trying to see if something's 108 inches and not 107, I mean, 
and in, it literally comes down to a game of half inches with with uh, Sitka black tail deer. Like, is that is that G two seven inches or eight inches? Yeah, I need to know. And and the country is really big, and so you're looking sometimes like you know a few miles away, and you have to like cross a huge valley to get a closer look. So believe it or not, even though that is a brutal backpacking hunt, Southeast Alaska, some of the toughest country you'll ever hunt. I take my Swaro 95 and I know that's crazy, but it's just one of those rare circumstances where I need that extra. Um, but you know, on this sheep, sheep caribou hunt, I just went on to the Yukon. Um, somebody might think, well, on a sheep, you need that big optic. No, I took my Kawa 55. That's what I took. I also have a Leica. I use all, I use Leica like a binos rangefinder and and spotter i have the leica right in the middle and that one gets a lot used a lot too um and it's a beautiful piece of optic there's so many good choices out there right now i do feel like like koa has a very interesting niche with their 55 there is nothing like it on the market i have not found another uh weight and size comparable optic that has the type of clarity that it has it's like the size of a water if you've never seen it it's unbelievable crazy yeah everybody should own one (laughs) i mean it's incredible that is such a nice little optic um i love carrying that thing it's like yeah it's like when i when i carry a backup rifle i carry a tiny little 18 inch barrel 338.6 that weighs five pounds and I just love carrying it because it's so, when I'm guiding, you know, and I need a rifle. I love carrying this tiny little light rifle. I feel the same way about about my um, my Kawa 55 with a tiny little carbon fiber tripod and my whole package. I mean, the whole package is probably three and a half pounds. Yeah. Like it's it's crazy for a spotter and a tripod to get in that range. No, it is it, and that's the one that I used when I was on that hunt with SNS and uh, and I'm like this little dinky thing. And uh, it had just come out, and so I'd never even heard or seen of it. I'm like, this little thing? And uh, they're like, just just trust me. And I'm like, whatever, dude. And, uh, you know, I used it all week on that hunt, and I'm like, God, I got to have this in my life. This is phenomenal. Every guide I've ever shown it to has has been blown away. It's great, man. Yeah. Uh, now, one thing I like to ask all my guests, and, and I'm super anxious to ask you this, um, because I feel like you, maybe more than anybody else, have a ton of little bitty tips and tricks and, and pieces of advice. So Fred bear was big on his field notes. So I always ask people, um, you know, what's one field note you've taken from the field that I can take and make myself a better hunter with just a a tip or trick that you've learned over the years. Field notes. That's interesting. I, my phone is full of field notes when I'm, when I'm hunting and I think of something, I immediately write it down. I would say do everything you can when you're stalking, that is, do everything you can to see them before they see you. Now, I know that may sound obvious, but so what happens when the animal sees you first is it, it becomes a very explosive situation and you're trying to range knock draw in seconds. And it, it, sometimes it works out okay. Uh, sometimes they pause for long enough, long enough for you to get the shot off. But a lot of times you miss, they jump, they whatever. I mean, I, I call it the rodeo. I always say avoid the rodeo. And the rodeo, I define it as when they see you at 
before you see them or at the same time or whatever. And so those last few, few whatever um, minutes of the stock or, you know, that last 50 yards as you get into the zone where you could potentially see them, literally take one step, stop, look, and listen for 30 seconds. Then another step, stop, look, and listen. And you're likely, if you do that, you're very likely to see them before they see you. And it takes a lot of patience. And you may think, oh, but what if he's gone or whatever? Well, I'd rather have him be gone and not know I was ever there and have an opportunity maybe at him again later than to have the rodeo start where they see, we see each other at the same time. And I'm trying to knock and shoot and and usually what happens is I rush my shot. I don't make a good shot. I, he runs before it because you're like under such pressure in that situation. So I know that may sound obvious, but I don't think in practice that it, it's actually happening in as much as it should. Yeah, I, uh, I saw I saw a quote one time and uh, I kind of took it a bit further, but um, somebody basically said, you think you're going slow, but your slow is not slow enough. And, yep. uh, and that was, and that was the whole essence of it is like, when you think you're hunting slow, slow down even more. Yep. And, uh, and so I like that rule of one step, 30 seconds, one step, 30 seconds. Um, what else do you got coming up this fall? Well, I'm antelope hunting in Utah, uh, sometime in September. Um, don't have exact dates yet, but that'll be pretty fun. I like hunting in my home state when I can. I actually, I mentioned, I, I don't hunt that much in Utah. It, it's true. It's hard to get tags. It's hard to get good tags, but I did get an antelope tag. So that, that will be really great. Um, I hunted bison last year in Utah and that was amazing. So, um, yeah, so I've got antelope and then I have, um, whitetail. And then I have that doll sheep hunt in the Yukon the last 10 days of October, which is a gnarly time to be backpacking. Yeah. The last the, the last 10 days of October in the Yukon, I'm telling you right now, bro, like like you you're not going to get your tent stakes in the ground, I'll tell you that. It I mean it is everything is frozen solid. I mean we like 0 degrees Fahrenheit and wind and I mean it, you can have some beautiful sunny days too, but but it is cold, really cold. And uh you know we're we're going that time of year just because it's a very unique time to see sheep that may just never be seen in the normal season. I mean, it still is the normal season. It, that's the last 10 days of the season. It's just nobody hunts them that time of the year. Everybody wants, wants to hunt them in August when it's beautiful. Of course, that's what I want to hunt them too. It's a great time to be in the mountains, but maybe, just maybe I'll find that monster I've been chasing in late October. I hope so, man. I hope so. Um, now, where can they find you at social media wise? Just Alan Bolin, A-L-L-E-N-B-O-L-E-N on Instagram. Yes. I would just encourage you, go follow Alan. I He's one of my favorite pages because he's constantly putting out information and tips and tricks where I'm just like, oh, there you go, um, which is what I strive to do with our field notes. Um, so, uh, And if you're not aware of that, I, we actually take our field notes um, that our guests share with us, and then I, I put them out in video form uh, sharing that field note. So uh, go check out Bear Archery's YouTube or my personal social medias uh, where those field notes are put out. And, uh, and you know, I talk about 
uh, I talk about shot practice a lot, Alan. And so I'm going to have to get, get me one of those, uh, what'd you call it? Solo targets. I'm gonna have to get one of those solo targets and do a tip on practicing with those, man. Yeah, it's, uh, they're, they're, uh, I would say it's one of the biggest game changers I've done to, to my bow hunting in the last 10 years started to use those and it and it's a cool small company like i look they, they don't i'm not sponsored by them or anything like that it's too small of a company uh the the guy who owns it um has goat hunted mountain goat hunted with my my outfit in bc a couple of times and he's just a really nice guy and and he showed me these targets i'm like are you kidding me I have been looking for something like this forever and I just started using them. So I, I have no incentive to, to like talk about them other than I just love the product. Absolutely love the product. No, I, I can see why, man. Uh, and the biggest problem, the biggest problem I have with, with 3d targets is, um, you know, I've got a whole 3d range in my backyard. I've got seven 3d targets set up. I can walk out and shoot them at any time. But the biggest problem I have with those is, man, they wear down so fast and they get, but, but I feel like with these solo targets, um, you know, you can have one block target and then every day you could just put a different animal in front of it and shoot a different animal. Uh, and so I, I really like the concept, man. I'm about to give them a shot. Yeah. I just pulled out my antelope solo target. It had, doesn't have an arrow through it. I've never shot at it before because it's been sitting in my shop for two years. I ordered one. And, uh, I'm just so excited to put the first arrow through it. It is the most realistic looking antelope target you've ever seen in your life. I just no. can't wait wait to shoot at it. I'm looking at these, man, and they are crazy real. Yeah. And so- they had a thing going for a while where you could send them a trail camera picture and they would print you your buck and you could shoot at your buck all season. How right. cool. I don't know if they're still doing that, you know, with their their staffing issues and all of that, but um, that, that was a pretty cool idea too. Very cool idea, man. Super cool concept. Um before we go, I need to give one more thank you to my friends over at Boning. Uh, they make all of the arrow components to build all the arrows um, in the world, whether shooting traditional, compound, whatever you're shooting. They have arrow components. They also have some incredibly uh, cool Fred Bear branded products. So Fred Bear branded wraps and and veins. Uh, so go check out Boning. Um, what kind of vein system do you run, Alan? I'm shooting a four-fletch uh, inch and three-quarter um pretty low profile it's about the smallest vein that you could possibly use and get a broadhead to fly i'm shooting four of them because i would have to shoot a slightly larger vein if i only shot three and the reason i like low profile is better crosswind performance so i'd rather shoot four of the smallest veins i can possibly get to work than three slightly larger veins because it wouldn't perform as well in the crosswind yeah very cool man guys go check out alan bolin um i am i am incredibly thankful for you coming on alan i appreciate it it's been fun dylan thanks for the invite i appreciate it as well absolutely you guys have a great week and thanks for listening